catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com. Yeah, Itayo, you've you've delved into <laughs> most of the issues we're going to talk about today, the framework, um, how it gets into how it relates to the idea of the future of work. Uh, but let's just hold on uh, these thoughts for a while. Um, let's get back to Liana. Uh, Liana, there are several organizations, non-governmental organizations, governmental organizations, tech-focused organizations that are currently undertaking initiatives to expand digital literacy and skills to unserved and um, undeserved communities and segments of the population on the continent. Are these efforts enough? Are they also addressing the real challenges and providing real solutions? And then how much work needs to be done? The vision that we have today working in the sector of uh, digital development is that all initiatives are good, obviously, and they are needed because the gap to fill is uh, really important today in Africa. But uh, the most impactful initiative really has to come from governments and to from public policies and having uh, initiatives coming from the governments that can be spread and to like really like all the uh, all the population so for example one of the work we do at Pactis is to help governments to design and to implement these policies related to digital development and uh, and and the and the vision that we have is that digital literacy cannot be addressed alone it has to be combined with the development of infrastructures and the new solutions of connectivity, for example, uh, developing the network of uh, the mobile network, having coverage of 2G and voice in like remote areas, but also the development of fixed network, like having fiber optic, like uh, a good quality of network. Uh, and the second aspect that must be addressed is the affordability of these solutions. So, for example, devices, but also like access to data and everything. And finally, digital literacy is that there are a lot of initiatives, but if governments don't look into these three aspects, then it's kind of meaningless because uh, infrastructures without affordability is doesn't mean anything because people won't be able to afford having connections. And obviously, if they are not, don't, they don't have the skills, then it's also uh, meaningless. So really, uh, government should have uh, public policies like master plans. Uh, so that's what we do. We help them design master plans or blueprint or national strategies to address these issues. And all issues related to infrastructure has to look into digital literacy. And the same digital literacy has to come with uh, like um, improvement of access. So that's what we advise is that this free needs to be addressed together to have an impact, basically. Mm, interesting. Now, ATIO, just like we're talking about these different activities, it doesn't seem like there is a central plan or some guiding fundamental principles for inclusive and equitable digital skills development. Are we going about this the right way? That's first. Secondly, it, how important is creating that digital literacy framework that provides for competitive indigenous content to also help fill this skills gap? Yeah, absolutely. So you've asked quite a very provoking question, especially when 
you know, you're talking to someone that is very big on inclusiveness. Let's start with the conversations around framework, right? I totally agree with Liana that the government has a very, you know, massive role to play when it comes to creating inclusion, you know, and creating inclusion at scale. Because we can all do the little pockets of the work that we do as individuals, as organizations, as initiatives, as companies, and even private sector investors, you know, um, we can all do the little that we can do at a different level. But because primary education is somehow the responsibility of the government, um, the, the framework to building inclusion really needs to come from that level, from the government. The government needs to charter the direct cost, right? Uh, the government needs to charter the direction. And then we, as organizations and players in that same space, need to build our models and our frameworks you know, in line with the government's um, direction. I'll give you a very interesting example. I run an organization that is a one-stop shop, and it's a startup that is a one-stop shop to helping people to learn premium technology skills. Uh, and then we have students across almost 30 different cities. But the interesting thing is, it's quite very difficult to standardize learning when the government has not created a framework. So we have to adopt some other international best practices you know, that we see. And also we have to do a lot of research to see that whatever international best practice we are adopting align with the local demand. You know, And that's what I think that the government should have helped create. So what type of technology skills should undergraduates should be, should be learning? What type of technology skills should recent graduate be learning? And what kind of examinations should they be doing just for us to evaluate performance and create some level of accreditation? So the government has a lot of roles to play in this space. And let me play devil's advocate. I feel that when the government, you know, doesn't step up to their responsibility and the roles, then private sector organizations need to you know, because they are the biggest, you know, they are the largest winner when it comes to technology learning or digital literacy, because eventually everyone that you train has to go to work with what organization or the other. So private sector businesses are, are major stakeholders in this um, triangle. I, I use triangle because I'm quite very tri-sector when it comes to how we are thinking about this approach. Tri-sector being private sector, government, and then educators like ourselves. So private sector are the largest winners when it comes to like getting the benefits of digital literacy because eventually everyone would have to get plugged into one organization or the other. And then this organization's benefits in terms of um, you know closing gaps and realizing from the unrealized you know benefits that it gets from it given quality education to individuals. So I think that the government has a role to play, but however, we also need to get private sectors to rally around and start to standardize. And we're beginning to see that in Nigeria, for example. I mean, I can mention a bunch of different organizations that are already creating what we call graduate training programs in the technology space. So um, a major bank is working directly with us to standardize, you know, what should the recent graduate what skills should a recent graduate have, you know, to move into working with that bank? And this might be an isolated approach, you know, but the banks can come together and create a standard. And then that standard can influence the university to start to rethink how they are training this recent graduates. If the entire banking industry say, these are the top five technology skills or digital skills that you should have before you work with the bank, 
and it becomes some sort of like an industry-wide practice, an industry-wide policy and framework that guides universities and also educators like ourselves, what would happen is that our hands would be tied to train in the right direction. So um, it's the biggest question of who should take the first charge. I think that if the government can, that would be absolutely a fantastic ideal environment. If the government is not taking on to that responsibility, then private sector organizations should. The top layer of the responsibility falls on us as, as educators. I mean, we now begin, I mean, we are forced to have to do this, you know, for these two different sets of entities, the government and the private sector. So we are creating the framework and creating the guide to how people should be learning and how we should be creating some sort of like inclusion in the learning approaches. But remember that whatever we create now becomes a best practice and that becomes what the private sector sees, you know, how they're when they're absorbing talents into their space. A better approach will now be to collaborate, create a collaboration between these three different entities to create a framework and an approach, a policy that guides us in how we develop talent from the primary school to university so that we can have a much more robust workforce. Okay, now I talked about the idea of competitive indigenous content helping to fill the skills gap. Absolutely. How do we go about that? Hmm, interesting. Um, so I, I would give you the way I think about this, right? I think that whatever is happening in Nigeria today um, or in Africa today um, has in some way happened in other economies in the past, uh, other more developed economies in the past. So the fintech bubble that we're experiencing today, I don't know if bubble is the right word, but the fintech experience has been in the US and the UK in other climes some 10 years, 20 years ago. And it looks like it's a rolling wave. So whatever happens in a much more developed economy, you know, we begin to experience it some 10 years later because the internet is also helping us to share knowledge and share information. So one of the things we need to do is that we need to do a lot of research into what other economies have done, uh, how they have done it, the kind of content they've created, the kind of learning approaches that have worked on them, you know, in all the space. Then that's the first layer of the engagement or the process. The second is we need to engage lots of local, local educators, right? And that's one of the things that we do in Nigeria here at Utiva. We try as much as possible to make sure that all our trainers are locals, right? They are folks, professionals that are based in Nigeria, that have experience in Nigeria. So whatever best practice, you know, we are bringing from any international community or from any global space, we are able to contextualize it because learning has to be contextualized. But the context cannot exist in isolation. So the context needs to, or the context will be created from somewhere. And I have said that one approach that I forever, you know, would use is adapting what already exists. You know, if the US, the UK, you know, more developed economies have done it before, you can take some of the things that they have done, but you need to set up practice teams, you know, locally, practice teams locally to interpret what you're bringing and contextualize that to our work environment. And that's how we build whatever we build here at Utiva. Data science is data science everywhere. Google Drive is Google Drive everywhere in the world. Microsoft Team is Microsoft Team everywhere in the world. You know, emails are emails everywhere in the world. However, you know, we have a team of practice leads in Nigeria who are experts who have used many of those tools 
for 15 years, um, who have done many of these things that you're asking people to do. If it's product management, they build successful products. If it's product design, they build successful, they design successful uh, products. And then they can contextualize the standards and help people to learn within the framework you know, of their environment. And that guides into how we are now interpreting content or creating content also locally. Uh, because now you can now begin to create content and interpret some of this. Uh, if you're thinking about training materials, you can now begin to engage you know, local content creators to recreate this content in our local indigenous languages. But for me, I think that learning is more than the language, uh, more than the content. Learning is so much about the approach. So number one is what approach of learning should we be using over here? to help to accelerate and fast track how people are learning. Number two is that what type of content should they use in? Do we need to recreate this content in our local languages? Yes. You know, I think biology needs to be created in our local language, but that will be done by experts. But before they can do that, they also need to understand the context here. So a lot of research needs to go into this conversation. Wow. Okay. That's a whole lot to deal with, but then we do not have as much time and all the day to uh, delve deeper into this today. We may have to move this discussion to another day and you know get deeper into all of the details. Now, Liana, as your closing statement, where do we go from here? What should happen next, especially in the area of recovery and resiliency building? How do we go about like being resilient you mean addressing also the, the pandemic, I imagine. So I think since we have observed that digital is essential to our lives and there is no going back from working, uh, as already been mentioned during this this talk, like working remotely, being able to, to learn from, from, uh, from a distance, uh, it's really important uh, to, for, uh, for, private and public uh, actors who work together to address these issues. Uh, as I said, like to address these three, uh, three elements that are the infrastructures, how to uh, connect people that are in remote areas who are not yet able to, to, to take part in this new economy that we are, we are in, how to also have them access, especially when they have no means to, like there are, there are like schemes that can be implemented uh, for them to have a bit, like to have access in a more affordable way. And uh, finally, uh, I think education uh, has already been mentioned by Itayo is absolutely essential, like learning small, but also when people are not like anyone can learn basically at any stage in their life. So, uh, so I think that's, that's the, the resiliency that we can all learn. And since everything is changing fast and the technology is going so, so quickly that we, we all have resilience to, to learn as well. Uh, so I think that's uh, that's my closing statement. <laughs> okay, okay, that's a nice way to close. Uh, yeah, just to pick your brain a bit, uh, both of you, um, which application uh, do you wish could be built that isn't already um, already available? This is just to pick your brain a little bit. We'll start with uh, Atayo, and then we'll go to Liana. Yeah, absolutely. So I totally think that one thing I would really want to see is, I don't know if it exists, you know, is some is a plug in 
that helps to filter information online and, mm. and help you to distill um, what is fake news and from what is not. Uh, that's one thing I really would like to see and see at scale. Maybe a plug-in that helps to ensure that you know, you're not absorbing too much of a fake news. Um, that's something that I think would be very important and value to this generation. Mm. Liana, if you were to make a wish, what would yours be? <laughs> it's a bit difficult because I, I always feel like when I start to think about that, like every possible app has been, has been built uh, and uh, it's very impressive. But I think one thing that can be really interesting is to, I think it's a bit like what Itayo has been said, like because we were dealing with so much, so much information online and it's really hard to to see what's what's true what is not uh, what can be interesting is to have like a tracing of uh, today i think like tra tracing of information like from a like a source uh is always done by uh research and things like that so like it can be uh coupled with your idea i believe is that also to being able to trace like really the origin of like a source like really where is this coming from because yeah we see pictures uh, and people like tend to always uh say that this is happening there or there especially in uh, yeah everywhere so to fact check and having for example uh, a picture posted on this app and you know like where is it from uh, when like that that would be actually really useful to fact check okay okay that's beautiful but i i, I wouldn't want liana to also go with a tire again so i'll ask another one um if liana if you if we're to have only three apps on your mobile device your phone for example delete everything else only three apps what will it be what will they be uh uh okay uh, I think it would be like my go-to app for music and podcast okay. because I think you're never uh, like that's my endless source of like knowledge and also entertainment. And then it will be my main messaging app. And uh, last one would be the search engine. <laughs> if that's if that's if that's an app, I think that's that's a, kind of a joker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, yeah. it's, it's it's fine. It's fine, Liana. We can let you go with two and um, maybe two and something else. Um, Atayo, I hope you don't you don't follow um, Liana's um, trend. What would yours be? Oh yeah, so priority for me would be my music app. I love my music app so much, and I also have some some apps on my phone that I use for financial financial trading. Uh, so I would want to keep that. That is important, and maybe the hub to connect with people is also very important. Um, social networking, you know, my Instagram, yeah, and a social networking hub. So I want to keep those two. Interesting. So music and podcast does it for you as number one. You and Liana, both of you. Absolutely. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, that's essential. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good to know anyways. Thank you so much for the time and for the insight shared today. I look forward to having you on other discussions um, uh, related to um, digital literacy and conversations about literacy and education on the continent here in Africa. I hope you honor the, com- the invite when uh, the time comes. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, that was really, really interesting. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be very interested to participate in another another talk and another time. Yeah, mm. my pleasure. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, thank you, Antonio. Thank you. Yeah. This year, the International Literacy Day celebration shines a light on the need of bridging the digital divide. There is no doubt this pandemic has accelerated the adoption of digital and remote learning solutions to relieve the effects of the pandemic on the 90% of the world's students affected by school closures. Sadly, children from families with limited access to books, technology and the internet, which mainly are on the continent of Africa, have been the most affected. We've been speaking to Liana Hakuton Dramboa and Eitayo Ogumwala. Thanks for listening and don't forget to catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com.